So this is, as I said, this is my second of two uh, times uh, teaching uh, on the vision. The first one, do you remember what we talk, talked about a couple weeks ago? You're not allowed to answer, Dan. Anyone? Stephanie, surely you remember. It's on, it was on making disciples, right? That's the first arm of our vision. Um, we see, uh, as our vision, we see our church um, serving out Christ's mission through God's power in making disciples, or disciple-making if you prefer, uh, and forming gospel partnerships. And so today we look at the idea of gospel partnerships. Um, so, um, the, so you have two different handouts. Um, we're not going to go through the ULBC long-term vision goals, examples in parentheses. Uh, you'll see that in a second if, if you don't yeah, you have that. Um, but I wanted to put that in your hands. Um, uh, one of the church members asked me for a list of those things that were in that initial uh, slideshow slide presentation, and it had been changed 500 times by the time they asked. Uh, so I reduced it to the you know sort of this list of uh, potential uh, examples um, uh, at their request, and I thought maybe more people would like that. Um, so you've got some uh, notes on the top you want to just pay attention to. Um, these are in no apparent order other than the bold-faced ones which are up top because they're 2021 goals that we announced at the beginning of the year, like landscaping, for example. Uh, the other thing is to note that this is a, uh, a list of potential vision goals. These are not decided vision goals. Th this, is, this is a brainstormed list, um, and, uh, and that list will change uh, as the church family prays that God would reveal uh, your gifts and also your passions for both making disciple ministries and gospel partnership ministries. Um, and so necessarily as God reveals those things to us, this list will change. Also things will happen, you know, we may engage in, in one of the, the vision goals and, and uh, maybe we underestimate how long it will take to accomplish and so by, by, the, by the length of time or perhaps the amount of resources needed, people, resources, etc., cetera, uh, we may put a hold button on some other things. And those things will develop um, naturally uh, as we as a church family pursue uh, some of these visions. So again, I'm not going to go through those. I just wanted to um, make this list available to you. It was in a slideshow presentation. Um, and, uh, but those are some examples um, of vision goals. The, the, the goals uh, come out of those two arms of our vision. Making disciples, right? We talked about that last time, which starts with evangelism, right? That's where disciples are made through the preaching of the gospel, the sharing of the gospel with your neighbor, the, the sharing of, of, of uh, the gospel in our community. Um, and it proceeds through taking young believers and, and helping them mature in the foundational uh, truths of the Christian faith and even goes beyond that to equipping the saints so that they are um, fully engaged in Christ's mission themselves, using their gifts and going full circle so they're out now evangelizing. Uh, and so you see that, uh, that idea of making disciples. But today is about gospel partnerships, and this one is um, less, people are, are usually less uh, familiar uh, with this concept, okay? So what I wanted to do is I wanted to lay out 
a biblical case for gospel partnerships. Um, now, I, I did that last uh, summer on uh, Church Life Sunday when I preached um, the, uh, the story of the, uh, the Church of Antioch from the book of Acts. You can go back and listen to that. I think that is a chief example of gospel partnerships. Um, <clears throat> but in addition to that, I've, I've laid out before you uh, the other handout, Gospel Partnerships, it says at the top, um, I hope to convince you of this biblical case. Uh, <laughs> as I look, I don't have my Bible with me that's sitting on my uh, desk in my office. Can I borrow someone else's? Thanks, sweetheart. <laughs> I like the softer leather. You know, I've got those kind of hands here. Um, okay, so um, you ready for your sword drill? Get those Bibles out. Um, so here's the first question I ask. We're going to go fairly quickly because I want to get to the last point. Okay, what should we do with our best and brightest? Flip over to Acts 13. So what I want to attack here is this idea. Think about how we sent Joel and Misty to Japan. That was a real blow to us, wasn't it? This is the audience participation portion of the program. Um, so that was a real blow to us. They, they were valuable uh, members here at this church. They were engaged in lots of different ministries. Um, Frank? That, that's right. Yeah, we especially wanted her back then, right? Um, but, you know, they led the music. They were involved in youth. Uh, uh, Joel regularly taught and preached. Misty regularly taught in the women's ministry. Um, they were constantly caring for uh, the neediest uh, among us. And, uh, and, and uh, Joel, of course, served as an elder after serving for a, as a deacon. And on and on we could go. Those were valuable people to us. And yet uh, the world would say, why are you sending them out from you? Wouldn't it rather be better to hang on to them for the, for the strength of our own church? And yet that's not the pattern that we see in the Scriptures. Look at Acts chapter 13 there. There were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Um, I just want to point that out. I mean, can you think of two more valuable people to the Church of Antioch than those two guys, right? The very success of the missionary journeys points to this fact, right? And so we see that as a pattern. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2, um, verse 19. Philippians 2. Are you guys, you got your Bibles? Are you flipping? See for it yourself. Get your nose in the book. Philippians 19, 2.19. I just want you to see this, this valuable servants, Timothy and Epaphroditus, being sent back and forth for the good of, of, uh, of different ministries, different churches. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Who's you? Church of Philippi. Hope to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, but not those of Jesus Christ. As you know, 
Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that tendency, that inclination to take his most valuable co-laborer and send him? Do you see that pattern? Right? That's because of this idea of gospel partnerships. Paul's not simply trying to build up his own ministry, his own sort of personal kingdom, if you will. He has a, he has a wider vision than that. And so he's willing to send them. And if we kept going in this passage, we'd see that the church of Philippi likewise had that inclination because they sent Epaphroditus. Okay, so, um, so, so we see that pattern. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Flip over there. Who will read those two verses? The second half of verse 10 through 12. 4, 10b through 12. Who's got it? Starts, get Mark. Miller, you got it? Second Timothy four ten B through twelve, just those three verses. Okay, that's enough. Well, I just wanted to see this pattern of Paul, 2 Timothy, Paul's in prison. This is his last letter. He's going to die soon. And from prison, he's marshalling the Lord's assets and people, saying, I've sent this one to here. Bring Mark to me. I'm sending this guy there. That guy I've already sent. You see that pattern? That pattern of gospel partnerships. Even, even in his final hours, Paul still has that inclination of seeing gospel works as, as, uh, as connected, as not different ministries, as not little different kingdoms where we say, I'm going to hoard my resources so that I've got the biggest and best church and I don't care about the other ones. We don't see that pattern in the New Testament. We see, in fact, the contrary, right? All right, so that was the first point. What should we do with our best and brightest? We should share them uh, as, as, as valuable uh, uh, resources in the wider kingdom. Would it be wrong then for us to take, let's, see, let's say, the Changs and the Bigs that just walked in, and say, we're going to take those, those two families that we cherish, and we're going to send them uh, to plant a church in wherever. Would that be wrong? No, that would be a beautiful example of this kingdom mindset. right? Second, how should we interact with ministers outside our church? Right? We're all in to, to, to support our own ministry, right? But what, what should we do when we interact with ministers outside our church? Uh, flip over to Philippians uh, chapter 1. So back to... Back, back a little bit to Philippians there. Chapter 1, verse 3. We're moving a little quickly because, I, like I said, I want to make the case, but I want to get to Galatians so we can examine it more deeply. So, Philippians 1, verse 3. Uh, Paul writes, I thank my... Paul's also um, uh, jailed here, right? Uh, a different imprisonment than when he writes Second uh, Timothy but uh, jailed nonetheless. And he writes, I, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Church of Philippi, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day 
until now. Do you see that, that partnership going back and forth? He's committed to praying for them. Even in, in, a, in, a, in a dark hour that he's experiencing. He's committed to loving them by, by, by beseeching the Lord on their behalf. And he's also in that prayer thankful for their commitment to him. Their commitment uh, to him. Uh, also, um, verse uh, 19 Oh, I'm sorry, I want to give you 6 and 7 as well. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They didn't abandon him when things got very difficult. They leaned into that love, leaned into uh, that partnership. They saw... This is an embodiment of Hebrews 13, where it says, when brothers and sisters are in prison, you should feel like you're in prison with them because they're in the body with you, right? That's, that, that's an acting out of that very truth, right? Um, Philemon's uh, 7, I'll leave you to read that later. Um, he's commending uh, Philemon for the refreshment that uh, he gave him. Uh, or uh, Onesimus gave him, rather. Um, Acts 14, um, we have commendation for the work in the new churches. In other words, um, Paul goes back through the churches and encourages them in the work and strengthens their faith. So many examples of this, this kingdom-mindedness, this, this, uh, this idea of, of gospel partnerships. What, what about our resources? We talked about people, but what should we do with our resources? How should we think about the resources that God has given Union Lake Baptist Church, whether that's people, whether that's time and prayer, whether that's money in our pocket, whether it's the trees and the, and, and the, the undeveloped land around us, our own building, whatever we're talking about, how should we, how should we um, use our resources? How, how should we see them? Um, also in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul writes, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lots, lots of truth in this text. But see the commitment of the Philippians to partner with Paul out on the gospel mission. They see themselves as partners in that work. They see, they see themselves as desirous of sacrificing time and again, even when their coffers are low, to support that ministry with the belief that when we do so, God will take care of all of our needs. Now, not in a health and wealth gospel way. Not in a way where, Bob, if you'll just give more, God will give you three times back. That's not how God works in his economy. What he will do is take care of your physical needs, and he will reward you tenfold in heaven. Right? So we want to have that mindset when it comes to uh, our resources. Look at Titus 3.13. Uh, Again, we're asking, answering the question, what should we do uh, uh, with our resources? Uh, Titus 
Somebody want to read that verse for me? Right? Send these gospel partners on their way. They're traveling through Crete. Send them on their way and make sure they lack nothing. Isn't that awesome? Um, I mean, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible in as much as, you know, we're commended to take care of lawyers that are going on their way. But um, I digress. But anyway, you, you get the point here. When gospel ministers are going out, it's the church's responsibility to lean into that work. Make sure they lack nothing. Don't give them just the little scraps after we take care of all our own needs. No, we lavish God's, God's gifts on them. We, we don't want to have 50 uh, missionary partners at $37.50 a month that we support them in and don't know what's going on in their lives and ministries and we don't pray for them because there's too many of them and absolutely nobody's ever talked to them. That's not the kind of gospel partnerships we imagine here. We imagine gospel partnerships where we sacrifice significantly to support them in every way. Right? So uh, we see that in that Titus uh, verse there. Uh, what about 3 John 5 through 8? Somebody else give me that one. Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? So that we might work together for the truth. You don't even know these guys. They're commended to you as gospel partners. They went out with no support from, from unbelievers. And so who's going to support them? The church. Right? And we want to partner with them because we want to partner in the truth. We want to be part of that. Don't you want to be part of that? Isn't that a great uh, just encouragement that we, get to, that, that we get to see gospel partners in other places? Could be across town, could be across the globe but we get to be, participate in their ministry. We get to participate in what God is doing uh, through them. 1 Corinthians 16 is a command to collect money for the Jerusalem church that was uh, undergoing a severe famine. You can look at that passage later. Um, but uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, uh, verse 1, it goes all the way into 9. Uh, but flip over there. I just want to point out um, this uh, This concept, this uh, this emotion, this desire. Passage starts out this way: Second Corinthians eight one. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Isn't that extraordinary? They had a severe trial, right? And, and even in the midst of that severe trial, that severe resource trial, they showed this extraordinary gift of generosity. Uh, and, and it's just it's something to be emulated, right? Um, and uh, there's too much in this passage, so uh, I'd encourage you uh, just to look at that idea of churches um, desiring be part of the work. Um, they're, 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 it, this isn't a situation 
where Paul is saying that um, they, um, they're, they're having to be coerced into a partnership here, but rather they, um, they're, they're literally begging uh, to be part of showing of love to the church at Jerusalem. Cultivating a willingness uh, to risk everything for Christ and others that Christ uses. Um, here, a uh, uh, number of passages in Philippians. We've already touched on, on that book. Uh, Hebrews, uh, some passages there. I'm going to leave you to that um, for your own study. And then I also just want to point out this general teaching here in the parable of the talents. Um, this, this concept where God... Uh, entrusts us with resources, and we're we're to use those resources effectively for the kingdom. We're not simply to fear what will happen if we will expend our resources. We're not to bury it in the ground, right? But rather, we're to go out and make wise decisions, wise investments in kingdom work, right? Which necessarily includes making uh, gospel partnerships. Um, and uh, I think that is, is very clear in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25 there. But let's, let's move our attention to Galatians 6. I want to spend the remainder, remainder of our time there. Galatians 6. Oh, that's not my Bible. That's why I don't recognize that note. Okay. Um, Galatians uh, 6, I'm going to read 1 through 10, okay, for a little bit of context here. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Who are the Galatians? Who are, who, who's the audience of this letter? Well, it's a group of churches. Um, most believe that Paul wrote to the southern region of Galatia, uh, which included all those churches he planted in those early missionary journeys, churches like uh, that of Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, for example. Thus he strengthens no one particular church over against another here in this corrective letter, but rather it is a word of instruction to the churches, plural, the churches, all the churches in that part of the world. Where does chapter 6 fall? Well, the end of chapter 5 has this contrast between living in a way that gratifies the flesh and living in a way um, uh, that is led by the Spirit with a view toward inheriting the kingdom of God. That's the contrast at the end of 
chapter 5. Don't live in a way that just simply gratifies your own flesh. There's a number of sins that are listed there. Those kind of, that kind of living is obviously fleshly living, and those kind of people will not inherit the kingdom. Rather, live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That's how the end of chapter 5 is. Okay? So then we enter into the text I just read. We see then that living a spirit-led life in our text is an others-focused life. Look at verse 1. You who are spiritual should restore him. Restore who? Restore a sinning brother. That's others-focused. Be on the lookout to see who you need to rescue. If you're spiritually minded, if you're walking in the spirit, that is. right. Have that others-focus of rescuing others. Also, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You want to fulfill the law of Christ? Bear each other's burdens. You see that others focused? It's very clear here, especially on the tail, uh, uh, on the tail of the end of chapter 5, right? Live according to the Spirit and so inherit the kingdom of God. Do that by doing what? By being others focused. Save others that are in trouble. Bear others' burdens, right? That's how chapter 6 starts. But let each one test the genuineness of his manner of living so he can boast. Did you see that? That's very strange to us. It's very strange for us. Four, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. Boy, that doesn't sound Christian, does it? You boast in your own self, right? That's what Paul's telling us to do. That's very strange, right? Well, he's not, of course, saying to boast in our own righteousness. He's not saying to boast in self-righteousness. That's clearly not what he's saying. Look just back one verse. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So clearly Paul's not saying boast in Bob. That's not what he's saying here. It's very clear. right? We can also just uh, allow our eyes to drop to verse 14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So what is the boasting? The boasting is in Christ, but it's also boasting in a Christ that produces others-focused fruit in us. That's the boasting. Isn't that great? It's not a boasting in Jeff for Jeff's sake. That's not what he's holding out here. He's rather saying boast in the fruit that he gives, the Spirit provides because of faith in Christ. Right? So, so this is this is very plain. This it, it, it again sort of dovetails with this teaching of don't live according to the flesh, live according to the spirit. Spirit gives fruit, the spirit changes people's lives, right? Um, so it's not this self-congratulations that rests on a comparison with others either. Right? We see that also in the text. Do you see the end of verse four there? Then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. It's not like sizing me up against, against Sarah or something like that. That's not what's going on here. That's not what he's telling us to do. He's telling us to live genuine, spirit-led, others-focused lives. That's what's going on in our text. Boasting in God bearing spiritual fruit in our lives. The kind of spiritual fruit that's others focused. Notice one of the evidences of spiritual living, an example of fruit that's that's worth boasting about. God did this to me. In other words, he's saying he should do it in you. Verse 6, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Verse 6. 
Boy, that sounds like I'm up here saying you guys need to pay me well, doesn't it? Helen, you got any food for me in that bag? I mean, what'd you bring for the one who... That, uh, while that truth is there to be sure, the church is under obligation to support its gospel ministers. I, 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 I don't say that ashamedly. Right? We're all in that. We all sacrifice. We all give so that gospel ministry goes forward. And of course, we have that primary um, responsibility in our own church, but it's broader than that. In, incidentally, the truth of supporting gospel ministry is found in the words of Jesus in, in Luke 10, 7, when he sends out the, the 12. He tells them, hey, when you're out ministering, stay in a home and eat and drink what they provide you. For a gospel ministry, minister is worthy of his wages. He quotes from the Old Testament there, right? From Deuteronomy. Paul would later apply the same truth to the church specifically to provide for its own pastors, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. But I want you to look at the logic Paul uses here in this Galatian letter that follows this, this command. Remember the, remember the train of thought that we've got going here. Don't live fleshly, live spirit-led. And what does that look like? It looks like others-focused. One of the ways to be others-focused is to make sure that you're sacrificing and supporting gospel ministers. Right? Look at verse 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He's returned to that contrast, remember? What kind of planting are you going to do for a harvest? Are you going to hoard your resources? Right? Plant seeds for the flesh and reap the sort of benefits that fleshly uh, sowing uh, reaps? Or are you going to rather put your resources into spiritual planting? Supporting of the word ministry going forward, gospel ministry, that will yield eternal life. Now, I want you to, friends, hold these things in balance. I've said this many, many times. The, the, the Bible holds these truths together. Don't simply say, once saved, always saved. Doesn't matter how I live. Put it in your pocket and go on your merry way. The Bible always holds the other up also. You, you better evidence your faith by your works. If you don't, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says that at the end of chapter 5. So, so as an example, we all know people that were in church that all of a sudden are, are living notorious lives. I know a brother who was a member at my, my former church years ago, and he left his wife and re-entered a homosexual lifestyle that he had before he made a profession of faith. And he was so committed to it that he didn't care that he was excommunicated from the church. A guy living that kind of life, I don't care what kind of profession of faith he made. I don't, I don't care how sincere and committed it seemed. It doesn't matter how long they were in the church or what religious service they offered. If they are in that kind of state, there's no expectation they will inherit the kingdom. So Paul here is putting his money where his mouth is. You want to say that you're, you're living in the Spirit? Well, you better back it up by the things that you invest in in this life. It better be spiritual fruitfulness. And as an example, make sure you are supporting gospel ministry. I mean, this is so 
This is just so pointed for this idea that we've got to be making gospel partnerships, friends. We've got to be seeing our individual resources and our corporate, that is church uh, resources, as, as to be used not only for making disciples in our, in our own church and in our own community, but also with gospel partners. We've got to have a wider vision. God's working. He's moving. His Spirit is doing significant things far outside of Commerce Township and its surrounds. And we want part of that ministry. We want to give so that that will be credited to our spiritual account. We ought to be begging to be part of these works. Right? We don't want to be spiritually stingy here. Right? We want to live, we want to walk according to the Spirit. And one of the ways that we do that is by supporting gospel ministers in other works. Do you see that at the beginning of verse 7? Do not be deceived. Some translations say, um, uh, or rather it says, do not be deceived, and that says God is not mocked. That word is used in the, this is the only place that word mocked, I think, is used in the New Testament, but it's used several times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is referred to as the Septuagint. Okay? So, um, so there's, a, there's a particular place in the Old Testament that uses the same word, and it's very instructive for us. It's found in 2 Chronicles 36. I've got it quoted right there for you. But they, that is the unfaithful priests and people, mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people. God will not be mocked, friends. His people need to live a different way of life. It needs to, his people need to view their resources and the ministry of the word differently than the world does. And that means sacrifice. That means commitment. That means others focused. Right? Paul doesn't want the Galatians to turn their nose up. That's the, the literal meaning of tamak. He doesn't want to turn their nose up at the work of the gospel and how highly God values it and the condemnation that's coming, the warning that he's issuing for those whose faith will not prove to be genuine. Right? Doug Moo in his commentary here says, we must be careful lest our insistence on faith alone leave insufficient space for responsible human activity. Do you see that? We're saved unto something, a life that looks different, a life that looks like sacrifice, a life that looks like commitment to others, not just the people in our little circle, right? We've got to have a wider gospel vision than that, right? Think back, I mean, I, I've laid out all of these passages in the backdrop of this, right? that I want you to consider as, as you pray through this. We go into verses 9 and 10 there. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Notice we have this, this um, extended metaphor of, of sowing and reaping that connects all of these verses. That concept is in 7, it's in 8, it's in 9. In other words, there's not a break here. This is not a new section that started. right? These all build upon each other. This, this logic of Paul continues out of what we've been talking about. Verse 10 there. Oh, before I go there. This idea of doing good, right? What is that doing good? Is that just simply 
you know, we can take that out of its context and, and just make it mean whatever we want. What does doing good mean to Vaughn? What does it mean to Kelly? What does it mean to Bobby? What does it mean to Tom? Like, we could, we could make that mean a lot of different things, okay? And it is indeed a big basket, right? Um, in fact, it summarizes at least all the way back to verse 1 and perhaps as far back as 5.13. It therefore very much includes the support of gospel ministers, this doing good, right? Look at the verse again in verse 9 there. Let us not grow weary of doing good. It has this idea of continuity, right? It has this idea of being zealous for good works, to use Titus's language, right? To lean into these gospel partners, right? And, uh, and uh, as we have opportunity, right? So this is an ongoing, eyeballs open, others focused sort of approach, right? And so we want to see how God can use us to benefit other parts of what he's doing in the world, other parts of the kingdom, other gospel partners. And so let's just, in the last couple minutes that we have, think about some examples of this. When we host a preaching workshop, as we'll do at the end of October, that's not Jeff's little baby. That's very much your ministry, Jane. Right? Laura, that's your ministry. That's us as a church saying, how can we benefit other churches? How can we benefit others that are going to stand behind the sacred desk and open up God's Word and, and share the life-changing message of Jesus with, it, with their people? How can we lean into that? Because we all know, have, has anybody looked for a church in the last 10 years? Raise your hand. Looked for a church in the last 10 years. It's a lot of people in here. It's probably more than half, right? Ever go into some churches and you're like, I don't know what that guy was doing behind the pulpit. That's most churches. That, that's not me boasting, saying like, oh, Union Lake's really got it going on and no one else. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that most churches need help to advance in their ability to handle God's Word. And we, with eyes to see, with others focused, with, with the Spirit leading us, with a kingdom mindset, say, we want to be part of that work. So Jerry, that's your ministry. Lori, that's your ministry, right? So we want to get excited about these things. When we host fellowship in the gospel conferences for men and women, what are we trying to do? We're trying to take people that have a very paltry view of Christ as the center of, of everything that's in, in, in church life, everything that's in the Scriptures, everything in the way of changing lives. We want to exalt Christ in their minds. So they go back to their churches, and they, they don't just say they're gospel-centered. They don't just say they're Christ-centered, but they actually minister that way. We want to model that. And so when we do that, Bill, that's your ministry. right? Fellowship in the Gospel. Angie, that's your ministry. Right? This is not you know, just the elders putting something on and hoping the people will you know, not mind too much. Right? You get what I'm saying? What about when we invite um, a, a, a guest preacher in? What about when we send Pierre over down to, um, what's Scott Michael's church? Huh? Oh, in Haiti, of course, right? But I was, thinking, I was thinking Scott Michael's church in Farmington we did recently, right? Well, anyway, we'll come up with that name, but you get the point. So when we do those things, that's because we're seeing that that church is in need right now 
and we have resources that can help, right? Why do we collect things, um, you, you know, so that, that the St. Clairs can distribute in their neighborhood and, and reach out to them with the word of life? Because we care about the gospel going forward in that place. So what about selling the land? Is it really a good enough idea to sell the land so that we could use the resources over the long haul from that sale to lean into gospel partnerships? Isn't that worth it? Don't you want that credited to your account? Friends, don't you? Or do you just want to hold on to something that we've had for a long time just because we've had it for a long time? You see what I'm trying to say? This is vitally important to our vision. We want, at the end of our days, we want to break through the tape. We want to leave it all out on the field. We want to say, listen, God has supplied all of our needs and we turned it back into kingdom work. You see that? That's why. Now, if you've got a better idea for a vision in how to use those resources, we're all ears. But don't just simply turn a blind eye to the truth of God's Word that says we need to be forming gospel partnerships. We need to use the resources that God has given us toward this end. That's, that's why we need to lean into this vision. That's what I mean about gospel partnerships. I hope that's compelling to you. I, I hope that you get excited about this vision that the elders are holding out to you. It's not our vision. We want it to be your vision. We want it to be each of your personal vision. We want you to grab hold of it with both hands. We want you to be praying about what gospel partnerships our church should be forming. Your elders have ideas. We don't have all the ideas. We're relying on you to be praying. Are you praying? Pray that God will reveal your gifts to you. Pray that God will reveal your passions for both making disciples in different ways and different ministries and also in forming gospel partnerships, friends. God's given us all to each other with these, these variety of gifts, these different ways of thinking through uh, partnerships and, and, and different uh, uh, ways to approach uh, making disciples. And we need each other. This is what God has given, to, given each of us to, that we might grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. I trust that's a blessing to you. Let's pray.